The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan and now back to the podcast we want to start with body autonomy really and I always teach this regardless of where you're at in your child's age the very first thing that we want them to learn is that they have a right to their body right so that's body autonomy that's the foundation of boundaries and consent. And we need to teach that very, like as the first, first thing, because that is an empowering concept for kids to, to learn and understand, right? Your body belongs to you. Only you get to say what happens to it. This is usually where parents go, but what about, you know, if my child doesn't want to brush their teeth or what about if they don't want to eat, you know? These are situations where we have to just clearly define what's the non-negotiable, you know, Parents obviously do need to have some boundaries around what's okay and not okay with their kids. Um, And for the most part, those are kind of biological things or safety things. Like you have to put your seatbelt on when you're in the car with me, you know, we're going to drive somewhere that's non-negotiable. But there, there are things where we can give them more choices and options so that they start to exercise their autonomy. So that can be something like, you know, if you feel full, I'm not going to force you to eat. It's your body. But, you know, in an hour or two, that doesn't mean you can have ice cream, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you didn't eat necessarily and there's still food on your plate, like, and you're hungry, Mm -hmm. then that's, you know, that's the the boundary there. Now, as it relates to other things like hugs, kisses, tickles, um, even if someone rubs your shoulder and you're not comfortable with it, you can tell them stop. You know, you can say, please don't touch me or I don't like that. And you have every right to do that, right? And so exercising the ability to set a boundary is so powerful for kids. We've all been put here for a reason, and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. 
from recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. Hi, everybody. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Um, a couple things really quickly before we start going into introducing my guests, etc. You can find me now on Patreon. My first episode is up with my husband. It's actually pretty ridiculous. Um, I don't know if you'll think it's funny at all, but my subscribers have told me they thought it was. Um, I also love um, your reviews on Apple. Uh, you can follow me on YouTube, which I'm now pushing the episodes to. So I really appreciate any reviews and subscribers. Um, and then I'm just going to go into my quick story. So you know that I always get myself into ridiculous situations. I don't know how, but I do. And for some reason, you know this, I might bring Rosalia, my guest, into this because everyone I think can relate to this story. Um, you know the self-checkouts at the grocery store? Do you get what yeah. I, you know this? So for some reason, I am always the idiot that cannot understand. Like, they hate me. Like, this one lazy – I love this grocery store called Lazy Acres. It's a small grocery store, like, right up the street from my house. And I can tell that the lady that's always working at the self-checkout hates my guts because I always have to push oh. the button for help. <laughs> and so I asked her the other day because I was actually self-checkout, like, doing the self-out check out correctly for once but I saw her when this woman was asking her questions and I could see her frustration and so when she left the lady was checking out and left I asked her I was like first of all what's your name and I think her name was Kristen and she goes um she goes yeah this is it's really frustrating and I was like well Kristen are you in the self-checkout because you got in trouble at work and so they make you post at the self self-checkout she's like you wouldn't yeah, yeah yeah she's like you wouldn't believe the questions that I get at self-checkout and I just thought it was mm. the funniest thing because it's just a reminder like I don't know why they even have it because it takes so much more time than in our heads. <laughs> it takes longer. Yeah. Like in our heads, we're like, oh, I'm not yeah. waiting in this line because we hate lines, right? Period. Americans can't deal yeah. with lines. But like the thought of a line of like yeah. one person or two people ahead of you is like, oh my God, what am I going to do to make up this like extra 30 seconds in my day? I'm just going right. to go to self-checkout and spend an additional five minutes because I personally am a moron and don't understand that you can't bring like bananas and you have to weigh them. Anyways, I had to ask you if you have had any issues ever with self-checkout like I have. I used to and I was always afraid because it was always an issue with my credit card. And yeah, yes. like the same thing. You'd have to get me to come help you. And, and then you're waiting longer because they're helping someone else who's also... <laughs> But also Straight the up people like, behind yeah. you like hate your guts because it's like your card yeah. gets stuck and you don't want to put your pin in or you don't like something happens and it gets stuck and it's just it takes so much longer. It's so funny, yeah. but never. I think it's a lesson just... in patience. Yes, 100 percent. You know, it's like if you can have just patience for 30 more seconds and just go through that regular checkout instead of the self checkout. But it's like we keep doing it to ourselves. <laughs> it's it's a I know what it's you mean. A, yeah, it's like a mental thing. I think I've talked about on the podcast before how weird I find it how we all fight to get on airplanes. 
So it's like, oh, we're going to go have a battle and push each other out of the way to go sit in a tomb that like has no oxygen and like men passing gas with smelly feet for like hours. And we're all like, get me on the plane now. Let me in. (laughs) Anyways. Totally. um, I would like to introduce Rosalia Rivera. Um, Rosalia was actually my cousin, Medaya, um, sent me your information and I reached out to you because she's a big fan of yours. And when I say fan, it sounds strange, but it's like what the stuff that you're putting out into the universe is so important. I'm a parent. My cousin's Mm -hmm. a parent. Many of my listeners are parents and you are a consent educator and author also a podcaster called the About Consent Podcast. And you are now um, co-founder of the Brave Movement, which we can also go into, which is fairly new. Um, I wanted to welcome you to the podcast. So thank you for coming on. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I I would like to kind of go into why you started um, and got into what you do. Obviously, my listeners know Um, I like to start my episodes light and kind of with funny stories a lot of times, but we're going to be talking about something extremely serious um, and very scary, Um, but also um, arming yourself and arming yourself as a parent and a human being for predators and people that we don't want to mess with in our world. So can you tell me a little bit about what you do and what a consent educator is, number one? Sure. Um, yeah. And I just, I want to, before I answer that, I just want to point out, I think um, most people have the, the the language that you used about arming ourselves and predators that are out there. I think that that's usually what comes to mind when people think of sexual assault. And then if we're talking about children, it's just a whole other ball game of fear um, because obviously we don't want our children to experience that kind of trauma. But the perspective that I always bring to my work is that we can empower ourselves. It's not even necessarily arming ourselves because it feels like we're on the defense, but to take it from the position of, I have tapped into my power of understanding my body rights and helping my children understand their body rights and approaching the world from this really centered place of, we understand what is appropriate and inappropriate. And we have the tools to um, speak, to use our voice, to use our power Um, to really attract safety instead of um, defending ourselves from negativity, you know, and I, and I don't want, that kind of sounds a little woo woo, which is not necessarily what I mean, but just to shift our perspective. And particularly if you're a survivor, which I am, um, that was a really important shift for me to not live in a place of fear and um, hiding almost, you know, and like keeping myself safe but to actually stand in my power and really, um, you know, come from a place of power to say, I'm not allowing um, danger, you know, near me because I have the ability to be safe, right? So instead of uh, being like, just having that fear of not being safe to just know that we can be safe, right? And um, I think for anyone who's experienced trauma, that mind shift is really powerful, you know, because we tend to kind of live in the past with our fear of what happened versus like, 
being able to step into our healing and move forward in a in a more secure way. So I just wanted to address that because it's it's actually been a really new shift for me, even in my work, where I'm shifting language uh, dramatically, you know, and especially for for parents who I think when they um, imagine their children, you know, something happening to them they're stepping back into the fear instead of imagining how powerful their children can be in the world, knowing their rights and knowing language and understanding what they can do and the resources that they have and the advocates that they have behind them, um, which is such a different way of seeing our children, you know, instead of like, oh, I hope nothing happens. So um, so I just wanted to, to, to share that because um, that has been a really new shift in the last year uh, for my work as well. And I think that's a lot of what attracts people, particularly parents and survivors to the work I do is I'm not coming from a fear-based place. So, but just to, to answer your question, um, so I'm a consent educator and a child sexual abuse prevention specialist. So I really specialize in abuse prevention, but it is all um, under the foundation of consent education because they are two separate things. And I help parents learn how to teach their kids about body safety, boundaries, and consent, but also how to communicate with the adults in their children's lives, because that's an even bigger part of the equation of um, body safety for their family and keeping their families safer and communities, like really dismantling the taboo around the topic of child sexual abuse, because there's still a lot of hesitance to talk about it. And my goal is to help parents really step into these conversations, whether it's you know, within their family, their communities, their schools, their religious institutions, like wherever it is to dismantle the taboo. Because until we uh, until we do that, this issue is going to continue uh, being as as bad as it is. Like it, it, it is a much bigger problem than most people think. Um, so I, I love creating awareness and helping parents start conversations and learning how to teach their own kids um, about body safety and empowerment and um, you know, to, to prevent abuse, obviously, but also to break uh, intergenerational cycles. And that's how I ended up starting doing this work. Um, my sister's a survivor. And I found out when I was a teenager, um, when she disclosed and she was a teenager as well. Uh, she was actually almost an adult at that point. And I realized like I wanted to do something to help survivors. So I went to school for psychology and took a very long winded turn into a bunch of different things because I was so triggered. Um, as I was learning and, and do, taking my psychology degree, I ended up realizing I'm not ready for this yet. I didn't even know why yet, but I just wasn't ready. And when I turned 33 and I had my, my son, my first uh, child, because I have three kids, um, it really started to, um, like life started changing and shifting towards, you know, obviously given my sister's history, um, I wanted to make sure my kids were safe and hadn't educated myself about any of it, of like how to keep them safe. And when I started to do that, when my child was going to go to a day camp for the first time, he was about four, four years old. Um, I had a panic attack and I realized like I had enrolled him and I was going to drop him off and I was feeling good about it. And he was feeling great about it. And then I realized like, I haven't taught my child <laughs> anything yet because I kept kind of pushing it off. And thinking I don't have to do that yet. Like I was always taking care of him or my mom or, you know, and when this happened and I, I had this panic attack, I had the realization that I needed to learn how, right. And as I started learning, um, my own memories of my own abuse surfaced 
And, um, and then that was of course very triggering and I felt really overwhelmed and I didn't have any sort of support or guidance around like how to navigate this, but I knew I needed to keep teaching my child because I also had a second child and another on the way. Um, and so I dove into my healing. I dove into this body safety education and realized there's a lot of gaps. Like there's no one talking to survivor parents and, there's no one who's actually getting into the nitty gritty because there's a lot of advice out there of like, you know, make sure you have a safety network and teach your child the right names of their private parts. But there's no one that's really going in depth of like, if you are a survivor and this is triggering you, this is how you should approach it. And this is, you know, here's some guidance on what to do. And just to even like acknowledge you know, that there's yeah. survivor parents out there struggling with this. Yeah. So that's how consent parenting was born. I was just going to say really quickly, yeah, and I don't mean to interrupt you. Number one, I am so sorry for, that's very common when abuse survivors block stuff out um, and mm-hmm. might have a suppressed memory. Um, and it's it can be very difficult. Um, what I will say about what you said is I am extremely guilty of, and while you while you were speaking and sharing your story, I was like, wow, I really need to do. And I knew this before I interviewed you and I read up on you. I was like, I am not doing a good job. I have never done a good job. And that's OK. You can always if you're listening to this day today and you you yeah. you you have a 12 year old girl like I do um, or I have an eight year old, you know, to be honest with you, Rosalia, I I'm afraid to talk to my kids about it. Um, yeah, I, I think that could be my own history. I've never really talked about this on the podcast before, but um, I, I, I do know that something happened to me when I was young. I don't know what. Um, and I, I am very like never really tapped into it. And, um, it's something that happened. And, um, and so I'm very afraid of talking to my kids about stuff and I'll leave it at that because I'm not really comfortable with my own story talking about this. I knew like, if I had you on, I might, (laughs) by the way, I always get an emotional, I'm a very emotional person. Um, but I don't want my daughters to be to go through anything like I did, put it that way. And so I think it's so important that I have you on today to talk about this stuff because like you kind of block stuff out. And then I know that there's stuff and, but I'm like, I have two daughters and I know during COVID so much of this is coming to the surface. Right. And it's a, it's good and bad. Right. Because there's a lot of bad things going on in the world right now. Um, when you go to the airport and you see signs on the door that that say, um, if you're if somebody's with you, like let somebody know, and they take a picture. Or if you go to Disneyland, they'll take a picture of the parent and the child. Well, there's a reason for that because all of, there's there's stuff going on, and if we put our hand, head yeah. in the sand and we don't really like talk to people like you and educate our children, the cycle will continue. And it's really fear-based. Right. So I appreciate everything you're saying, but I have to admit and raise my hand and tell you I'm a parent that has not done a just job. So I have to admit and that. And that's okay. 
Yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, you know, join the club of millions, right? Yeah. There's so many parents that are not, they because they don't know how. And that's that's the bigger issue is that because we're not having these conversations in the open, there is lack of, of awareness to the tools that are now available. And, you know, that, so I'm super grateful that you're, you have, have me on today, you know, to talk about this and create that awareness. Um, because there's so many parents and, and by the way, it is never too late. Your child could be 16 and you can still be teaching this, right? So it is never, ever, ever too late. So, you know, I just want to encourage all the parents listening who might feel the same as you. And it's like, I didn't start. That's okay. You know, one, one of the ways, and I was just having a, a consultation with the parent earlier. And I said, you know, they, their child is seven and they're like, we didn't talk about this stuff. And there's a situation that's happened with this other child. And like, we don't know what, and I said, look, all you have to do to, to break into these conversations is tell your child, Hey, I didn't grow up with this information and I wasn't taught any of this and I'm just learning about it now. And I'm so excited that I now have this information and these tools that I can share with you to help you stay safer. And here's, you know, what we're going to do. And then you kind of map out, like I'm, I'm getting some books. We're going to watch some videos. We're going to have some talks and, you know, I'm here to be an open book. So if you have any questions at all, you know that you can come to me. I'm a safe space. Like there's no question that's off the table, right? And especially the older your child gets because they may be hearing stuff at school that they're not sure if they can approach you with, right? And so when we open that door and we keep those lines of communications open, that can be a game changer. You know, it can let your child know that you are safe to talk to about these issues, about these questions, about the curiosities that they have, about what they're hearing, either in school or in the media or in songs. You know, there's so much influence that they they are being exposed to. And so it it is it's important that we just say, like, I didn't know this before, you know, and so we're going to learn this together in a way. And if I don't know something, I'll find out for you, you know, but like, I'm here for you, you know? And so wh wherever you are in your journey, like you can just start now and not feel guilty about it, not shame yourself. Cause that doesn't help. Right. That doesn't make anybody feel good. And what we're doing is now saying, this is the future. Like we're here. I'm not going to like focus on what I didn't do. I'm going to focus on what I can do now. Yeah. You know? And I so love hearing I hope that, you take that because I, I, um, panic. Like if I know I'm very wary, I don't let my kids have sleepovers. I'm very wary of trusting other people. I said, when you say the things you said in the beginning, I'm like, well, that's me. Um, I'm very scared of things that I think most people wouldn't be or dropping them off or mm -hmm. like that kind of stuff. So I'm like, well, that makes sense. Maybe with a history there. But what what I yeah. find that I need to correct is in our family, we don't talk about private parts. We have na a name for it. It's, you know, not, it's a botsy. Like, that's what my mom called it. That's what we call it. And they've learned that from a really young age, maybe because we're uncomfortable about it or whatever it is. But I want to know, mm -hmm. like, if I were starting, like, now, like, what are some of the changes I could do, even with my 12-year-old? I have had the conversation about, you know, we've done the basics. Nobody's allowed to touch you. Uh, like, pretty much that's it. Like, tell us if something happens. So it's very junior varsity. Yeah. Tell me what are what are some right. things that I, <laughs> okay. yeah, what I selfishly could do 
as a parent because I'm more so that person that's like, you can't, like, if I drop them off at their grandparents' house, you know, I will have a nervous breakdown one day because Ron, my husband was like, oh, they're going across the street to the neighbor's house. Well, I don't know those neighbors. No, they can't go. And I start to like freak out. So I want to know as a parent yeah. like me, like what are the, some of the things I can do now? And what are some of the things for my listeners that they can talk about that we should be doing? Yeah. So first of all, I, I just want to acknowledge that I think a lot of parents, it's funny because I think parents are on like opposite ends of the spectrum and very few are kind of grounded in the middle. Mm -hmm. And the parents who are survivors tend to have a lot of um, fear, obviously, and, and understandably that something could happen. And so it becomes like, can I trust anyone? Is this safe? Is this safe? You know, you're constantly sort of on the alert. And the truth is that unfortunately, we do need to do that. And parents who are on the other end of the spectrum, and they're like, just drop their kids off or like, you know, everything's kind of okay. Like, oh, you know, when I grew up, like nothing happened. And so therefore, nothing's gonna happen to my child. So that's the other end, which is also not safe, right? So both ends of that spectrum can actually cause issues. And we have to try to find that middle ground, right? And part of the problem is that today, because of the uh, easy access to online porn, and because, it, you know, every kid has a device younger and younger, and they don't always have supervision um, on those devices, right? And they can use them. Or even if they don't have a device, but their friend does, and they're bringing it to school, and they might show your child something, right? We want to make sure that we are having as, as many um, age-appropriate conversations with them about the different topics. So the thing is that it isn't just a few things that we have to be doing. It, these are ongoing conversations throughout our children's lives. So whether they are two or 12 or 18, we can have different conversations at different times. At your, at your stage where you're at and based on um, what you've you know shared, which is like you just taught them, like, don't let anybody touch you there. Mm -hmm. um, we want to start with body autonomy really. And I always teach this regardless of where you're at in, in your child's age. The very first thing that we want them to learn is that they have a right to their body, right? So that's body autonomy. That's the foundation of boundaries and consent. And we need to teach that very, like as the first, first thing, because that is an empowering concept for kids to, to learn and understand, right? Your body belongs to you. Only you get to say what happens to it. This is usually where parents go, but what about, you know, if my child doesn't want to brush their teeth or what about if they don't want to eat? You know, these are situations where we have to just clearly define what's the non-negotiable, you know, parents obviously do need to have some boundaries around what's okay and not okay with their kids. Um, and for the most part, those are kind of biological things or safety things. Like you have to put your seatbelt on when you're in the car with me, you know, we're going to drive somewhere that's non-negotiable. Um, but there, there are things where we can give them more choices and options so that they start to exercise their autonomy. So that can be something like, you know, if you feel full, I'm not going to force you to eat. It's your body. But, you know, in an hour or two, that doesn't mean you can have ice cream, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you didn't eat necessarily and there's still food on your plate, like, and you're hungry, mm -hmm. then that's, you know, that's the, the boundary there. Now, as it relates to other things like hugs, kisses, tickles, um, even if someone rubs your shoulder and you're not comfortable with it, you can tell them stop. You know, you can say, please don't touch me or I don't like that. 
And you have every right to do that, right? And so exercising the ability to set a boundary is so powerful for kids because very few uh, actually get the ability to do that, especially if they were like, I was raised by a very strict parent and my mother is also a survivor. I, I have permission to share her story, but it explains why she was so strict with me, which made me end up rebelling when I was a teenager because we didn't have that communication of like, you know, I was told, you know, don't let anyone touch you. Like the, the thing between your legs, like I wasn't taught the word, you know, the correct terminology until I learned it myself when I was older. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of mystery around these things. And so what I recommend is like starting with that foundation of body autonomy. Like I had no idea that my body belonged to me, you know, as an, as a child, I thought I had to do everything that my parents told me. And, you know, if I did it, there were going to be consequences. Right. And so we want kids to know, listen, I respect your autonomy. Yes, there are some rules that we need to follow. Yes, there are some exceptions when it comes to health and safety. But other than that, like I want you to practice setting boundaries. If you don't want a hug from somebody, you're allowed to say so. Let's well, what practice are they, some what did they say? say? Let me that. stop you right there. What did they say? Because I know that like I am and as an adult afraid. Like I was in a work situation once where a man started massaging my shoulders when I was like at a work meeting and I was at that period away from my six month old baby. And I was like too afraid yeah. to say, get off me. It was very scary. And yeah. so I was an yeah. adult in that situation for a kid. It must be like massively scary for this kid to be like, don't touch me, get off me. Um, I'm going to get in trouble. Well, it takes practice yeah. though. So what do you yeah, tell so kids the, it, it to say? It takes practice. They, there's a variety of things and we want kids to practice coming up with those things themselves first. Okay. And then we can give them some support and guidance, right? Because we want them to critically think, what would I say in that situation? And it also depends on their personality, right? Some yeah. kids are really like, they can easily set boundaries and other kids, even if they know they can set boundaries are shy to set them, right? So we want to give them lots of opportunity to practice. And it's not something that they're going to do from one day to the next. This is why we want them to, first of all, know that from us so that we give them lots of opportunity to say no to things. We want to give them as many opportunities to say, no, I don't like that. Or no, I don't want to do that. And, you know, talking to the other adults in our, in our kids' lives about it as well, so that they get on board with this practice and helping them to understand why it's like, I want to help my child practice boundary setting. And by the way, as an adult, if you're a survivor and you you know, of any kind of trauma for that matter, and you feel like you have poor boundaries, this might be a little bit more challenging for you, but you're also going to grow through this work, which is so beautiful because it's going to be so healing for you mm -hmm. to say, you know what? I didn't know how to set boundaries. I'm doing this work with you. So let's practice together. Let's role play. Like what if your friend, you know, was, you know, in the playground and then they did this, how would you respond? Right. Um, so even just talking about it, putting them in that situation to think, you know, yeah, you have a right to say stop. And if that person doesn't stop, you have a right to physically move them away from you. And if they don't, then you get help. And if someone doesn't help you, you call me, right? So giving them some exit strategies, giving them some um, backup plans, you know, to say like, my mom is always on my side. She's always going to be my advocate. She's going to stand up for me. And she's going to acknowledge and recognize that because I have a right to my boundaries, that there's never a situation where that's going to be my fault, where somebody did something to me and they would make me feel like it's my fault because my, 
my family, my parents have taught me that they're going to back me up and they believe me and they support me and they support my body rights. So it, it's an ongoing conversation, you know, and I think when we start with these conversations, you if you feel like you're not really sure how to, you know, talk about it because it wasn't something you were raised with, mm-hmm. there are so many wonderful books available. One book for you, for your child's age, I would say is a book called Consent for Kids by Rachel Bryan. I love that book. It's such a great book. It's it's in um almost like a comic book format. And there's like all of these different little scenarios that this kid kind of finds himself in and how they respond and, you know, gives you so much language, but it's also like a, a cool, fun book. You know, it's not sort of this like stuffy, you know, old fashioned kind of book. It's a really fun book for kids, um, especially if they can read it themselves, like they're going to get into it, you know. So that's a really great book, too, because they can read that book and, you know, maybe they can they'll be like, oh, check out this particular you know situation. And it gives them ideas of, you know, language that they can use and how this character responded. Kids love stories. Right. So stories help them to step into that, you know, situation that the character is in and imagine what they would do. So. You know, there's so many tools today. There's books, there's videos. Amaze.org is another great um, uh, content platform that has videos that talk about these topics. So if you feel like there's a topic that really triggers you and you're not sure that you can get through the conversation without like breaking down, you can watch a video together, right? And just like process it and then have a conversation about it after. So it's not all the pressure is on you to come up with every single thing that you have to teach, right? It's there's guidance and there's tools out there. So you you don't have to be stressed about it. I think what you're saying is such great information, but something that you said is um, getting like family on board. So say you, you want to have a conversation and there's like a mother-in-law, for example, or aunt that doesn't, is uncomfortable talking about this stuff. How do you get, family to get on board and teach them that they have to be on board. That must be an obstacle that you must run into often. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, here's the thing. We we live in in a rape culture. This is what we are being fed all the time. Right. And so the natural sort of um, response is that it's a scary topic. Or this is making me uncomfortable. So I don't know if we need to, do we need to talk about it? You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of this, this resistance can come up. It doesn't always. And so I want to remind parents, sometimes you'll get somebody who really understands what you're talking about because you presented it in the right way. And so my, um, what I always recommend to parents is that we want to approach it in the same way that it was approached to you, which is that you're learning about it, Right. This isn't information that you've had all of your life or that you grew up with. So if you're new to it, they're likely going to be new to it as well. And they don't have all the information that you have. So we want to start from this place of compassion to say, okay, this person is a blank screen. They don't know anything. So I want to inform them about my why first before I make the request of what I need them to do and how I need them to do it. So we're going to start with the why. So what does that look like? Well, most people don't know that one in four girls and one in six boys in the United States will be abused before the age of 18. And these are conservative numbers because 60% of children who are abused don't report when they're children. So these numbers are statistically much higher. 
Um, but most people don't know that statistic, right? And it's different in different parts of the world. But in the U.S., it's one in four girls, one in six boys. That's a high percentage. That means in a classroom of 20 kids, there's potentially four or more children in there, right, that are potentially being abused. Um, and again, these are conservative numbers. So what does that mean? That means that there is a higher chance that, you know, we don't want our children to be one of those statistics. And when we start educating people about this information, another statistic that a lot of people don't know is that 90% of abuse happens by people that a child in the family knows and trusts. It's not stranger danger, right? This is a myth that many generations were taught, which is incorrect. It's people that you know. And the breakdown of that is that 30% is family, 40% are other youth, and then the other 20% is you know, teachers, coaches, religious uh, authorities, like that's, you know, neighbors, that's, that's the other sort of 20%. So the larger percent is family and then youth. Most people don't know that, right? So if you start with, hey, I just learned this really interesting information about these statistics that I didn't know. And as I'm, you know, wanting to make sure that my child can be safe in the world. I'm learning about body safety education and I just learned this, this really interesting information. I'm sharing it with you because since now we're starting to teach our child about body safety, I want to raise awareness for those who are, you know, in my child's life because I want them to know what we're practicing, how we're interacting with them, that we're teaching them about boundaries, that we're teaching them that people have to ask first before they just, you know, go in for a kiss. And that my child gets to say yes or no to that and that it's okay. And, you know, so this is what we're practicing. I wanted to let you know about it because we learned this information, all of these statistics. And then typically, you know, people will say, well, that's really interesting, but do I really need to ask for a hug or a kiss? Like I'm not a predator. And then you can say, well, actually by doing that, you're helping them learn how to practice setting boundaries. You're helping them learn to acknowledge that they have body rights. And when we help them practice in low stake settings, then they have a better chance of using their voice and knowing what to do in a high stake situation. And hopefully they'll never be in a high stake situation. But if they are, you've helped us practice that. You've helped my child develop their voice, right? And so when we put it into that context to say, you're not the enemy and I'm not pointing a finger at you. And I know this seems really different and you didn't grow up with this and maybe you didn't know this information. But this is why we're doing what we're doing. And then ultimately, if that person has, you know, still pushes back, well, then you have to determine if you're going to set stronger boundaries with that person um, or, you know, you're going to have to just keep reminding them about your boundaries or you're going to have to ultimately cut that person out of your child's life because they are not being supportive um, in, in something that is really important. You know, if that person... Uh, is is someone who is very touchy-feely or is like always tickling your child or is like, you know, you're seeing signs of grooming that are making you uncomfortable. And it's someone that, you know, is, is sort of like a highly respected person in your family. It's going to cause some friction. And, you, you know, it's something that we just have to prepare ourselves for and be okay with because ultimately our child is our priority, right? And that's the relationship that we want to prioritize.
Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I love what you said about, um, and as you're saying this, I'm thinking of a guest that I had on, and I, that statistic is terrifying to me, by the way, one in four. Um, it's common for kids to either have suppressed memories or, um, or in some cases, when we're, I would, my next question is getting into the grooming process, um, is I had a guest on that's grandfather groomed him. Okay. So he was obsessed with his grandfather. Everything had to do with his grandfather. His grandfather would take him to bars and he was fantastic and he idolized him and he would give him like things that he wasn't supposed to have, like the whole grooming process. Right. But he mm -hmm. didn't come out with his story. I think he's in his like late 20s now, maybe mid 20s. And it wasn't until COVID, I think, that he had the courage to come out and say, this is what happened. He was caught. The grandfather was caught molesting him. And then they never saw the grandfather again, basically. So when you talk about this, the people around you or adults or you know, if you have like, for example, like a, a nanny or an aunt or an uncle that are constantly around and they don't want to get on board. I think that what I suffer from and I'm sure a lot of people suffer from is trying to be too polite. Right. Trying to be mm -hmm. too polite and being scared yeah. to say, well, this is my role. This is what we do. And and but they don't want to be like, no, this is like what we're going to talk about. So I find all of that really striking. Yeah. And I think that as a culture, that must be very common that people don't want to say, well, you just can't be around, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. Am I right? on? Yeah, that? yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. You are. And, you know, especially when you're uh, 
you're up against culture itself, right? Mm -hmm. So like if your ethnic culture is very physical and very huggy kissy and you're like, I need, I need some rules and boundaries around that. You're going to be looked at like, what do you, like, who are you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, where did you come from? Like, are you part of our culture? And it takes a lot of courage. It really does. And that, so there's a couple of things, right? And I talk about this, especially as the holidays, uh, you know, come up, this is really challenging for a lot of people when they're like, I don't want to like be in the same room with this person because they're constantly crossing boundaries. And hopefully I just have to deal with it for a few hours. Right. And then I move on. Right. But the truth is that it is hard when we're pushing up against this culture. And so some of the recommendations that I do is I tell parents practice boundary setting. So like practice that line that you want to say that you wish you could say, but have never had the guts to say yet because you're not sure how it's going to land. You're afraid of severing that relationship or what, you know, you have to kind of do some journaling on this. And I would recommend, you know, ask yourself, like, if this person pushes back, what do I want to say? Like, first of all, what's the boundary that I want to set? Write it down and practice saying it. Practice it with your partner, with your friend, in the mirror, like practice saying it over and over and over until you feel like it's become second nature, right? And you're visualizing in your mind, saying it to this person so that it, in your mind, it's become so real that you, you feel like, okay, when I am in this situation, you know, hopefully I'll be able to say this, but you want to have practiced it as much as possible. So that's one aspect. And this is something that you can also do with your child together so that they learn how to say, you know, I would rather a high five or if they want the hug, fantastic, go in for the hug. But if you don't want the hug, here's something that you can say, you know, you can say no thanks or you can say, um, how about a high five instead or like whatever it is, right? So when you're practicing that with your child, you can also do the same for yourself. So you're in a, let's say that you're in a situation where grandma comes over for Thanksgiving and, you know, you've told her like, Hey, this is what we're practicing. Please ask for the hug. She comes in and she gives the hug or she asks for the hug. So you're like, right on, you know, she's, she's asking for the hug. She did it. And, uh, your child says, no, no I'm not really thanks grandma, but not, not today. And she starts acting sad, right? And she's like now gone, gone into guilt mode, like trying to guilt your child. Oh, I'm so sad that you didn't give me a hug. And you're like, well, that's not really respecting the answer, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're still kind of pushing the boundary here. So like, what do I do? If you know that that grandma has the potential to do that, you want to practice ahead of time and say, what would I want to say to grandma if she does that, right? And you, you could step in and say, well, Grandma, actually, we don't want to guilt anybody into a kiss, like, you know, or a hug. How about, you know, maybe a hug later if, you know, Johnny's up to it and, you know, being kind of gentle, but firm about it. Right. And having practiced that ahead is going to give you the confidence to say it, you know, and even if you fumble and you're like, well, you know, here's why we don't want to guilt a child and kind of having some of that information ahead. So if we practice it ahead of time, it that can be really helpful. But also, let's say that they push back in that situation, right? And you can say, well, you know, grandma, I understand that you wish that you had a hug and we can discuss this after if you'd like, but Johnny said no thanks. So let's move on and we can, you know, come back to this later. So you can, you know, diffuse it. And there's lots of different ways that we can practice setting boundaries. Like we use I statements, right? So that the situation is like, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't want to have this conversation. 
and you're setting that boundary. And it's not about you keep doing this or you keep asking or, you know, so there, and one of the books that I recommend also, um, because parents need to practice boundary setting just as much as kids sometimes, but there's a really great book, um, by Nedra Tawab. And, uh, it's, um, I think it's called setting boundaries, finding peace which is a fantastic book for anyone who feels like they need to get better about their own boundaries mm -hmm. um, to help to help you learn how to have that language. Because ultimately, you have to be that advocate for your child. And that is actually the bigger work of consent education. Because when we're starting to teach our kids, we can't expect them to be experts at setting boundaries right away. And we can't expect them to prevent abuse, right? That's our job is to do whatever we can to reduce the risks and limit the opportunities. So as an example, if we see someone who is displaying very obvious grooming signs and you also have a gut feeling about it and you want to stop whatever that interaction is, like maybe that person's tickling your child, your child looks like they're not enjoying it, but they don't know how to say stop yet. You have to step in and say, it doesn't seem like Johnny's having a good time and he, I don't think you asked him if you could tickle him. So can you please stop? Because it doesn't look like he's enjoying that. Well, something I want to say is what if like people already think you're a little bit of a BITCH? <laughs> um, <laughs> just maybe putting myself in these shoes. And I, well, get, so let me I, ask you this though. Yeah. What, so what though? So what though? I don't know because I'm just telling you because I'm having all these flashbacks of the years that I have, I don't, this is coming, this is for me, I think in my own past. And I'm like, whatever. I don't like when people hug my kids too much. I don't like it. It makes me really uncomfortable. Um, it's a cultural thing. I get that. Um, I'm Irish and Italian and I, the Italian culture, lots of hugging, lots of touching. My mm -hmm. husband is, uh, Irish and Mexican. Um, so very, and Italian. So very like lots of hugging, lots of picking up, lots of touching, passing around my kids to friends. And I, it, I have always like freaked out, like freaked out since they were babies. And yeah. again, this is just me. I know that I'm probably an extreme example, but I also, what you're saying is if I were to say, te like teach them, like we're talking about, I think I would be scared to say, we're just working on this and we're, we're working on consent. Could I say something like that? I'm just throwing myself as, out as an example. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And we don't have to give people full explanation. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not the, when I say like talking to them about the why, this is the people that we really care about having them in our kids' lives, right? Yeah. We actually want them to continue being in our kids' lives. Yeah. But if it's someone who's like a distant cousin, you only see them once a year, you don't need to explain all of it, yeah. but you can still set boundaries and not have to explain why, you know, you can just say, this is what we're practicing. We're teaching consent. And that means that, you know, my kids get to say what they're okay with and not okay with. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, and it's as simple as that. And, you know, ultimately, I think one of the, one of the things that I come across a lot are parents who, you know, they're afraid to talk to the principal at school to ask them, like, what are your policies, you know, around abuse prevention? Because they don't want to be seen as that parent. But here's the question, the bigger question. Mm -hmm. So what? So what if they see you that way? That just 
is is this fear of not being um received right like of not being maybe liked or like this a lot of times it's a, it's an irrational fear because uh -huh. of whatever we've experienced in our life but a lot of times we have to go so what my child's safety trumps all of that right my child's safety trumps my discomfort to have this conversation because maybe having this conversation is going to make my my child's school safer which means my child will be safer going to that school well that's so we a, have to look at the a... long term of like that's a great point, though, because I mean, I know I've never had that conversation. My kids go to Catholic school. Um, we just take for granted that they drop them off at school. I love their school. It's an excellent place. Like, we're happy. Um, but it, it is true because you don't want I hate to try and be funny, but you don't want to be the Karen going into the office, you know, going, <laughs> well, what are you doing about blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. but I think it's a good point. So if you were a parent at a, going to a school, what's something you could say? Well, you just, you, you just want to know what is their policy mm -hmm. around abuse prevention? So are they, you know, do the staff have regular trainings? Are the, you know, teachers getting regularly educated about, um, body safety and abuse prevention? They are mandated reporters, so they do need to know like what are the signs to look for if i do see a child that is you know exhibiting signs of abuse um you know that they are mandated to report that and one of the reasons why that's even important again we want to look at the statistic of 40 percent of offenders are youth right so if there is a child that is being abused there is a higher chance that that child is going to reenact that behavior with a, another youth right and because depending on the child's age you may have really young children who are being abused they don't recognize that it's abuse and they may be perpetuating this with other children in the in the form of a game right because a lot of times predators particularly with young children will introduce abuse through games so it's like oh this is this like is supposed doctor. to be fun and we're just playing a game like playing doctor like doctor like tickling like, yeah. like yeah there's lots of different different uh grooming manipulations right and so if that child is not being educated, so if that school isn't teaching body safety, and obviously that parent or that family member, whoever is doing the abuse, um, if that child doesn't know that it's, it's wrong, then th that abuse is going to continue, which is one of the reasons why I advocate for schools to have some kind of mandatory body safety education. And so that's another question that you can ask at your school. Are you teaching any kind of body safety curriculum? Because that's also going to reduce the risk of a child in that classroom uh, from being, you know, from experiencing abuse or if they are experiencing abuse from that abuse continuing because maybe that child didn't know it was inappropriate. They can now report it and it reduces the risk of that child um, perpetuating that abuse. Yeah. Right. And also, of course, getting the help that they need to stop the abuse so that they are safe. So. You know, asking questions like, are you teaching this? Is it something that's even top of mind? You know, and unfortunately, a lot of schools are like, well, we don't have that problem or we don't we've never thought about it because it's never come up. But the only reason it's never come up is because maybe your students aren't aware that, that it's an issue uh, because, you know, they're being abused at home and it's been it's been normalized. Right. Um, unfortunately, a lot of kids don't recognize it because adults tend to think it's going to be a very violent situation. But mm -hmm. as you know, and as you talked about with that guest, this person was adored their grandfather, right? Who was the one who was abusing them. 
And a lot of times it isn't until the abuse becomes much more physical or, you know, and it's escalated already that a child recognizes and then they don't know what to do or that that person has, um, you know, threatened them or manipulated them into not telling. Um, so having a school be able to teach this information in an age appropriate, safe way can be very helpful. And it also lets you know that the school is being proactive. So schools, you know, can play a really big role in supporting abuse prevention education. And these are questions that we can be asking. I, I you know, a, a lot of parents, so I don't, you know, I don't want to be seen as that parent. So I say, well, why don't you get together with a group so that you can all be that parent, right? So oh, I go have to your PTA group, meeting. I have a great group of moms. Like, I'm going to, like, we go to this field pickup after school in like an hour. And I'm going to be like, listen, ladies, this is what we're doing. Because because <laughs> awesome. I know that yeah. people will care about this. And it's true. It's not really something you think of. I mean, it's always in the back of your mind as a parent, like, you know, and, and all my mm -hmm. listeners that are listening. But, you know, I grew up Catholic. I have Catholic guilt. <laughs> um, my mom gave me a book called Where Babies Are Made or How Babies Are Made, something like that. With And it was puppies. And oh, my husband had that one yeah, too. And my yeah. mom <laughs> gave it to me when I was like 13 and already knew about everything. And um, and it was a cartoon book. It was, I love my mom, but not yeah. maybe not the best at explaining that stuff. Um, so, but I do think it's stuff that we just, as parents, like really need to think of, think about and yeah. educate. I needed to ask you, for the sake of time, something I am terrified of is TikTok, even though I'm on TikTok, because as creators and podcasters, we have to be on social media. Um, but for my 12-year-old, especially, internet internet safety is terrifying to me. Um, you know, I had a guest on that talked about... Um, you know, sexual predators. And she was, she was sold, like she was in, you know, in being sold in the black market or whatever it's called this, like sex trade, the black, the dark web, the dark yeah. web as a young girl. Um, can you touch on internet safety and like how as parents, we can kind of be aware and get involved that way? Yeah. I mean, so Internet safety, I'll say the internet is just, it's like the wild west still, yeah. you know, like how many years later after, um, we, we just need to, first of all, there's a couple of things that I will say about internet safety because there's different elements of it, mm -hmm. right? There's the social media space, there's the gaming space, there's just even search engines and like accidentally coming across a porn site, mm -hmm. which, which happened to my nine-year-old. Um, so I, like I've had the the realization that even myself, who am an educator of this, mm -hmm. my child still accidentally stumbled upon it. But we had fortunately had the conversation ahead of time of like, what do you do if you accidentally stumble upon adult content that's not meant for kids? Yeah. So we've had that conversation. And fortunately, in time that when it happened, he was able to tell me. And he didn't tell me until two weeks later. He sat with this knowledge of like, oh my God, I saw this weird thing. I don't know what it was. It didn't make sense. Yeah. I shut it down. Like you told me, but the image stuck in my mind and like, I can't make sense of it. And I, it's weird and it's kind of freaking me out. And like, so I'm telling you now. Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm glad that you told me. <laughs> I wish you told me right away, but I'm glad that There's, you told he me. Probably, he was probably um, scared. And so, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And so, well, and he knew, he knew that he wasn't getting into trouble, but mm-hmm. I think he was just like, I know I saw something I shouldn't have seen and it wasn't on purpose, but it happened. And so I, I always say to parents, like, it's at this point, not a matter of if something would happen, it's a matter of when something would happen. And so this is why we really do need to talk to our kids about online education, safety education, ongoing. Like this isn't just, you know, here, let's read some books or watch some videos. I mean, just like everything else that I'm talking about, these have to be ongoing conversations because the internet is constantly evolving. Like now with VR, which is a whole other, uh, I really recommend that parents don't introduce VR um, because there's such... What's so here? virtual reality, you know, those, oh, yeah, um, we have those... one of those great, uh, an Oculus. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well... The Oculus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's just be really cautious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. You can talk to your kids about it though. Okay. Right. So even if you do like whoever's listening and they're like, oh my God, I did this already. It's okay. You just need to talk to your kids about the fact that there are these things that are happening out there and let them know that it is, you know, even if they've made a mistake and, you know, maybe something they've already seen something or they've accidentally chatted with somebody or somebody sent them something that it's still okay for them to talk to you because they're not going to get in trouble. The biggest thing that kids fear is that you're going to take the device away. Right. So one of the first things that I recommend, Mm -hmm. like, you know, if, if your child made a mistake and then they said, well, if I tell my mom, that, you know, I went into a chat room with someone, even though they told me not to. And then something happened. I can't tell my mom, she's gonna get mad. And then she's gonna take my device away. Right? If they have that fear, then they're less likely to talk to you about it. So one of the first things I recommend is having a safety, uh, an online safety agreement or a tech agreement. Um, There are lots of free versions of this, you can find one, I think, through commonsensemedia.org, for example. Um, and that they have a template of a um, media agreement. And so essentially it is a list of rules that you both agree to follow. So these aren't just rules for the child, but also for the parent, because we also have to model good digital behavior, right? So some of that might be like not oversharing about our kids online Mm -hmm. and asking your child not to share private information um, about themselves online, right? So you can customize this template however you want. And, and it'll have some starters of like, here's some basics that you should both agree to. Um, you know, one of them being, for example, um, you know, using your device in a common space, you know, or, or having a, a time that, you know, the device is no longer in the bedroom after a certain time, right? So some, there are, there have to be some parameters, some boundaries that you both agree to. And that if they, you know, cross those parameters or, or go off, you know, and, and do something they're not supposed to, um, that you have a regular check-in with them, that you're, you know, having open conversations. Um, there's so much information also, um, again, amaze.org and some other, um, I have some different, uh, links. I'm trying to think of some other, uh, videos, but there's lots of videos for older kids, especially that talk about this now, because, we're seeing the explosion. There's just been an explosion of um, online predators that are trying to get access to kids, right? And unfortunately, there's so many ways that they do it 
that we can't cover them all, but there are resources out there that help us cover that, right? Because we can't think of everything as parents, no. but like all the different ways in which it's happening. But there's so many resources, including lots of videos that you can watch with your kids or your kids can watch on their own with their friends that help them learn about online safety and navigate what to do. Um, even, you know, helplines, like they, they can't, they don't feel like they can come to a parent because whatever the reason, there are resources out there that can help guide them as to like, here's what you do if you've come across a situation. A lot of times they do guide kids back to their parents or to say like, you know, here's someone that you can talk to and they'll connect the parent. Um, but there's, there's lots of resources if you already have had a situation but then also how to prevent the situation in the first place. Okay, so, well, I messed there's up lots of support. again and did this incorrectly. I'm going to say that because we caught our daughter doing a Snapchat and we said, you're not allowed to have Snapchat. Um, and then she created one and then we took her phone away and we were terrified okay. and then we gave it back. But now I'm sitting here listening to her and I'm going, oh no, like now she's probably too afraid to talk to us about stuff. So... I appreciate everything you're saying, but if you found yourself in my place where I messed up, what is there a way to fix this? Absolutely. There's yeah. always a way to fix it. Okay. The, the way to fix it is really just being honest, right? Hey, I, you know, I thought that this was okay, but I realize now actually that this is not okay and here's why. Mm -hmm. And so let's go back to the drawing board and let's start fresh with an agreement that we both agree to these rules and we're open about it. And, you know, I, I know that you really value your connection to your friends and you really value your connection, you know, online. It's, it's, of course, it's an interesting world. There's so much on the internet that is, is great. There's also a lot on the internet that's not right. There's also yeah. a lot that's not safe. And so my, my job is really to make sure you're safe. I want you to learn how to navigate the internet safely. It's the same as driving. When you get a driver's license, you're going to need to go to school to learn how to drive properly. You're going to need to learn the rules of the road. You're going to, you know, need me to help you learn how to drive a car, right? So all of these things are kind of the same. I can't just let you go willy nilly. And like, I thought that it was okay, but I realize now that it's not. So let's start from ground zero and, you know, start fresh. Here's, you know, some rules that I think are going to be helpful for you being safe and for me being, you know, looped into what's happening. And as long as you can be honest and open with me, you know, no matter what it is, even if you think that you're going to get in trouble, likely that you're not, you're just, we're just going to figure out how to get out of the situation that you got into, right? My job isn't to punish you. My job is to help you learn how to navigate things safely. So if you come from that place of honesty and transparency and connection, you know, connection over correction, I always say I love that. is going to be more powerful, is yeah. a lot more powerful. Yeah. For the sake, I hate, I mean, I literally, when I say this, I could trap you for three hours and you would be like, get me out of here. This crazy lady is driving me insane. Why did I agree to do this podcast? Um, but I, I love learned so much in this hour. Thank you so much. Where can my listeners find you? Like, give me, I know that you have multiple um, social media accounts for different things. Can, do you mind just sharing a few and like the best way if, if somebody wants to contact you? Also, I wanted to know, do you ever speak to schools? I do speak to schools. Um, okay. I train educators and parents, but not kids directly. 
Um, but I can recommend, um, educators for, for school curriculums, but yeah, I, I love talking to schools and I love talking to parents and PTA groups. Like it's one of my favorite things because then they can get together and talk to the school about implementing policies. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, uh, my website is consentparenting.com and I have tons of free resources there as well. Um, but you can also connect with me through Instagram or Facebook and both of those handles are consent parenting. Um, I'm on Twitter very little, me too. Um, but, I I, don't but I'm on there it. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a whole other ballgame, yeah. but, um, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. So a lot of people, if they're looking, uh, to like to connect me to their school, the school usually connects with me through LinkedIn. Um, and that's just Rosalia Rivera is my, my handle there, but otherwise it's consent parenting on Instagram and Facebook and I'm pretty active there. So, well, I am so grateful. I'm grateful to my cousin, number one. Shout out, Daya. I love you. Um, I I learned so much in this hour. Um, I have a lot of work to do, which, you know, I think is good. To always be self-aware as parents, to know that our job is always evolving and learning and doing the best we can. And, you know, I love my kids more than I can ever someone I know that you do too and we all do as parents but we just want to keep them safe you know and and yeah and protect them and do the best job we can so I really appreciate you coming on I know my listeners are gonna really appreciate this episode as well um everyone thank you for listening um if you ever, if you want to reach out to me, you know, my, my Instagram is at judging Megan. I love hearing from you all. I love your comments. I only like nice comments. So if you're going to say anything mean, <laughs> you can reach out to Rosalia Rivera. I'm just joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but in all, in all honesty, this was really a great episode. I learned so much. So thank you again. Um, in closing, be happy by making other people happy. Thank you, Rosalia. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.